Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Strictly for the culture. Brothers and sisters, you have seen the t-shirts, the hats, the hoodies, the mugs. In the hands of some of your favorite pro wrestling stars, podcasters, and influencers out there. And now it's time. Visit strictlyfortheculture.ca and you too can be part of the movement. Bigger than sweatshirts and commercial success, Strictly for the Culture aims to build with like-minded people and elevate their position in the world through knowledge, self-love, and a desire to unite. So what are you waiting on? Visit strictlyfortheculture.ca Do it for the love. Do it for the knowledge. Most importantly, folks, do it strictly for the culture. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. My name is uh, Lee Bercy, L-E-I-J-H-B-U-R-C-Y. I am a 36-year-old first-time homeowner, uh, married in 2021, uh, former homeless youth, former municipal counselor, former mall Santa, former drag queen, part-time pro wrestler. I've written uh, uh, children's books. I work in, uh, you know, as a chartered housing professional, work in housing and homelessness with chronic homeless people, and I'm a massive mark and a huge wrestling fan for most of my life and actually I genuinely give it the credit for teaching me to read. And uh, I know that I'm excited to be here today because uh, you're listening to Duke Loves Wrestling. You know, Lee, that might be the greatest ID in the history of Duke Loves Wrestling. And, and listen, we've had Hall of Famers. We've had <laughs> astrophysicists. We, <laughs> we've had them all on this show. But literally, I am going to call you the, the universal champion of IDs on Duke Loves Wrestling. I love it. I'm in good company. Yeah. Me and Kevin Steen out there, you know, us Canadian <laughs> Universal Champions. So. Well, listen, I got to, I got to talk. You brought his name up, so I got to talk to you about Kevin Steen. He hates my guts. Really doesn't like me. He blocked me because years ago, when Will Osprey and Ricochet had their little series of matches, and everyone was talking about how crazy this was and what have you, I made the comment that. It was a nice display of athleticism, but in my opinion, it was not pro wrestling. Mm. And Kevin Steen retweeted me, called me a moron, and then blocked me. No kidding. So now, that would he have been uh, WWE Kevin Owens by that point, or would this have still been more Ring of Honor era? No, he was he was in WWE at that point, but he was he was only a couple years in, maybe yeah. a year and a half, two years. I can't speak to like uh, maybe the potential that he has a very strong relationship with either or. I know he works with one of those superstars, and they are both remarkable and incredible athletes. What I've always been interested with with Ricochet as a unique example is a lot of people thought he had some background in, as a gymnast. And he, I remember reading an interview where he said, I think I would be significantly better than I am if I had. 
He's like, I wish I had done that. Uh, I got a lot of respect for him in that he's very unique and he does offer something very special. But at the same time, and this is where I'm going to be at odds with, uh, you know, with Kevin here, uh, I tend to agree with you. And I, I, I don't know that I would, I might be a little more diplomatic. I don't know that I would say it's, you know, it's not wrestling. It's obviously wrestling. I mean, a bell started, a bell ended, two people performed. There was a winner, I assume. It was wrestling that doesn't appeal to me. It was um, something about that that I thought was really beautiful and fancy, but brutally contrived. And I kind of sided with, I believe, one of the critics of it actually was Vader. And I think that led to a program between him and one of those performers, actually. And, you know, I, I would remember watching Vader's Moonsault. And I think he was probably the first I ever recognized doing it. No doubt I probably saw Shawn Michaels do it first. But I don't know that it ever registered to me because Sean did a lot of beautiful, fancy things, but he did very articulately and mixed it with something that still felt very um, emotional and and very hard hitting. Sean was a unique character. But when Vader did that moonsault, that stood out as, oh, oh my God, moment. Holy crap. That's where those chants come from in the ECW arena. Whereas uh, I don't know that anything about that stimulation fest made me go wow other than i was very impressed with the timing and the delivery but i don't know that there was a single moment of emotionality between that entire uh trapeze act and you know kevin as you know i I look at as kind of an enigma and you know as a proud canadian guy I'm, i'm a big fan of kevin and sammy as performers and kevin has always been a gentleman to me when i've met him sammy even more so they're generally universally liked and beloved performers. And uh, my, my dog's uh, introducing himself here. I uh, apologize, but he's a tag team partner. It's just how it goes. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm I, as someone who, like, Kevin is all about displaying emotion. And a lot of what he does is about being hard hitting and delivering things that feel very real. Uh, to see him object to your comments, uh, I think he. Personally, I think he's almost the antithesis of that type of performance. Well, and that's that's why I was taken aback. So I'll just say this. Um, Kevin Owens, you're a punk. <laughs> I don't like you. You've been riding Sami Zayn's coattails your entire career. And just like Lee's dog objects to you, I object to you. You know damn well that that nonsense that Osprey and Ricochet was doing was not pro wrestling. It was flippy, dippy, peanut butter, skippy, but it wasn't pro wrestling. So... Pull up your skinny jeans, Kevin Owens. That's right. (laughs) Lee, you're my kind of guy because you actually have taken the time to uh, form an opinion. And it's a well-defined opinion. And no one else is is influencing your opinion beyond you. you. You take a look at the facts. And you compare it and contrast it. And you come up with something. Appreciate Why that. is that such a lost art today? It seems like a lot of people want to go with the in crowd and, and they'll change at the drop of a dime when the in crowd changes too. Why do you think that is? I, I'm not sure. I think it's more the immediate gratification piece. I think that's the thing I notice in social media and uh, internet movement as it's expanded. Uh, I often think to myself, what would, and this is the best way to put it, what uh, specific to IWC, and I'm trying to find the appropriate words to make this have impact. How would today's generation of clickbait uh, keyboard warriors respond in real time to Steve Austin versus Bret Hart in March of 1997? What would those same performers 
uh, what 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 would their star ratings be? What and I'm not talking about Dave Meltzer. He's been doing this for years, and that changes on the drop of a dime too. I've got my criticisms. I mean, just generally, what would the audience's response be? And then to take that even a further step back, what would the audience or how would the modern audience that is live tweeting the match? And I do this too. Who's live tweeting the match as it's happening? So no doubt we're missing something. You know, you can compare it to if there's subtitles in a movie. At some point, you're going to miss a key detail trying to focus on the nuance. Uh, what happens uh, in, in that respect to matches that have defined generations, such as just a year before, Bret Hart with another classic against Shawn Michaels in a 63-minute Ironman match? Would the consensus today be the same that that match is classic? You know, I know Dax Harwood will be out there having a watch-along on Twitter, and I commend him for that because he's one of those very unique characters uh, and there are a few of them that have somehow been able to find a middle ground between being a blatant throwback character, uh, you know, almost lacking nuance. Generally speaking, is 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 a walking tribute to his heroes, and somehow still manages to appeal to the in crowd base. And I sometimes wonder if they tokenize an FTR and say, well, you know, of course we like real wrestling. We love FTR. That's why we vote for them to be team of the year, despite the fact that they wrestle a style unlike everything else that we watch and unlike anything else that we pretend to like. And I find that that's what I think people find frustrating is, is would FTR versus another team like FTR versus another team like FTR and continue on so forth. If that was what a, a tag team division looked like in any major company in North America, would it carry any weight on a commercial level because ultimately the people who are responding online are responding to, as I said, stimulation festivals. They're looking for something that's fast, that's gratifying, that's, uh, that's, you know, almost hypnotic, uh, you know, and, and I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, you know, one thing that Dave Melser said that, that sticks with me, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, at first debating it, but I've come to appreciate this comment, although I would still have a, you know, a slight variation. If anyone was to ask me who I think was the most influential performer of uh, this generation last or within my the uh, adult lifetime at 36, I would have said Shawn Michaels, while he would say it's Rey Mysterio and not even close. And I can make an argument that neither are wrong, because if you were to look at a particular crop of NXT performers before Shawn Michaels was even affiliated with that brand, who were coming up, just in visual presence, they resembled him and his movements uh, almost to the point of fallacy. Whereas, no doubt, the appearance of schizophrenic, uh, you know, hyperkinetic energy that, that comes from these very bombastic movements in wrestling, uh, you have to attribute to a Rey Mysterio, not because he did it better than anyone else, more so that he did it in uh, during a time when a lot of people were watching wrestling and had not seen anything of that nature in their living room before. But uh, generally speaking, it, I feel like Rey Mysterio, who quite frankly is aging like fine wine, his matches are still good, whether or not his programs carry the steam that they did at a certain point, uh, I wonder if the cruiserweight division of 1997 would be heralded at, at the level that we um, eulogize it and, and through nostalgia if it was in live time today. Because a lot of times it seems to be 
the ground zero for the Young Buck style and Kenny Omega style and Will Ospreay style of performance. But what's interesting is there's a lot that's been lost that was very much on display during that era too, which is, you know, when you watch a match between Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero, like uh, 1995, 96 through uh, ECW and then into WCW brand, you would see that there was a lot of intensity. There was a lot of emotion. And the big thing, the lost art that I see in wrestling today, there was a lot of selling. There was a lot of something looking like it hurt and feeling for that performer like it felt real. I'm looking for my suspension of disbelief. And I'm looking for my belief to truly be suspended. And that's very difficult when everything is sort of, uh, each each movement is is almost... Uh, it, it's really just, it's, it seems like even every finish today is more just a step towards another finish. Uh, there's no protecting that, that art form. And the reason why I use Shawn Michaels as an example is because no doubt he's Adam Cole's favorite wrestler. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, he, he's, he's Johnny Gargano's favorite wrestler as the WWE answer to that. And there's an entire generation of people out there, much like the Young Bucks, who are doing super kicks all day long, in every match and the audience is calling super kick parties and they're having a blast with this concept and they're getting into it and you hear, Oh, Oh my God. Holy F. This is great. You know, uh, you know, that was awesome. And everyone's living for those chants or the tweet that reflects that chant. But what's interesting is the reason why I mentioned the matches I did is would those age as well if they were in today's marketplace. And I appreciate evolution. I understand that, you know, interests change and things become different. But when the super kick that all of them are emulating was a one time in a significant moment in a well-told theatrical story of an athletic match, and it was the finish, that one boot to the chin was enough. I often wonder if I was watching Shawn Michaels and he he wasn't Shawn Michaels, but you get the point in terms of the analogy. If I was in the Outer Limits parallel universe and he was a performer today, the same maneuver that inspired all of these cats and characters to put on these really spectacular athletic performances, uh, that match would never get the, the the five stars. It would never be heralded as a success. It would never be looked at and reminisced upon in some nostalgic, powerful way. We wouldn't be talking about the boyhood dream, you know, which was in 1996, March 31st, you know, in Anaheim, California, in front of, you know, 15 to 17,000 people. Why do I remember that? Because it was important in that moment. Today, it wouldn't be because he only did one super kick. And, you know, someone out there would say it looked weak and he's too small. And someone else would say they hate that style of wrestling. And someone else would say that that particular person does it way better. And if he was with the wrong affiliated brand, then there would be an entire subset of this audience that would dismiss that match to begin with. And they'd never give it the time of day, despite the fact that it is the template for so much of what FTR and Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano and Will Ospreay are doing, you can't think of a better, you know, matching of performers really in terms of mid-sized contests in history than Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Uh, there's a reason why A&E biography is successful. There's a reason why the, the network was successful and there's value in, in Peacock because there's a growing audience of people who are aging into their fandom who can appreciate how powerful those stories were in those moments. But that's being missed because right now the clickbait is the center focus of the story. 
It's how can I get the most instantaneous pop? It's not how can I tell the most meaningful story? And that is the lost art. And that's what's making this entire generation. And, and this is not a criticism of an AEW specific or a New Japan specific. I'm watching the same happen in NXT. I'm watching this in the entire crop and generation of performers that are coming, where I don't think Jake Roberts would get over today if he was just using a DDT as his finish. Meanwhile, there was nothing more important in wrestling than that DDT when he made that signal to that audience. They bought in. But that was after a psychological contest. That was after telling a story in a meaningful, passionate way. And I see that. Don't get me wrong. It exists. We have some of the most incredible athletes in the history of this industry at this moment. And they're probably in healthier places than they've ever been. I'm not looking for another person to be a strung out Jake Roberts. But it doesn't change the fact that the reason why we are still, well, even the guys who are the new template, the reason why they're putting up the too sweet Wolfpack image even today is because there was something significant to this era of wrestling, that this era of wrestling was about telling a story and protecting a partner and uh, making a dollar and investment. It was about taking it to the pay window, like Dusty Rhodes used to say. Today, it's about... How do I get the audience to pop and continue to pop so that they tweet about me? And as long as it's about being the cool kid and participating in this process, you're going to have a brand new audience of people who believe that the entire art form is about popping and tweeting. And as unfortunately, that's going to be fly by night because it's unsustainable. Uh, the performers who are watching today who we love or that we become attached to, they have a shorter shelf life. Uh, and the reason why is because I think it was Jim Cornette, to be fair, who said this best. And he deserves some credit because he's been more right than wrong a lot of the time. You know, it's in an industry about making something look real and painful, but taking care of someone and making it safe. It has never been more unsafe and looked more phony. But if I'm interested in Michael Bay movies and I think Transformers is the greatest film and I don't I don't want to watch Godfather Part Two, I don't want to watch Goodfellas and the long cut, uh, you know, with uh, and then he kissed me as we're going through the back of the restaurant. If I don't value the art of the entire cinematic experience because it's just not stimulating enough and I'm looking for something that's instant in my gratification factor, obviously it's not going to appeal to me. And that's the challenge is, is we have performers who are going out of their way to either inject humor almost to a fault. Not everyone can be our truth or Danhausen. There's a lot of performers who, when they inject humor into their stories, it absolutely mercilessly kills not only the gimmick, but also their longevity as performers. It kills my suspension of disbelief. Whereas when I'm sitting at TakeOver Toronto, when I'm watching DIY versus The Revival, FTR, and they have that moment where both wrestlers are in the submission hold and the one who's the legal member wants to tap and his, uh, his partner reaches across the ring and grabs his tag team partner's hand because he refuses to concede. That takes me back to Chris Benoit at Fall Brawl 97, you know, in the middle of uh, the War Games match. Uh, when they say, you know, Ric Flair is getting beaten and decimated by the NWO and the horsemen are handcuffed to the cage and they say, do you want to quit? Because that's the stipulation. Someone has to submit. Do you want to save your friend and your idol and your hero from this beating or will it continue? And Benoit spits in the microphone in defiance and you feel that. When CM Punk is smashing that bottle of Jack Daniels over the head of JBL, 
when JBL says he couldn't wrestle a man that he couldn't have a drink with. And JBL screams, the, you know, bloody murder, while CM Punk calmly says into a microphone with distinction, sometimes it's what I don't do that makes me who I am. That's the reason I own his T-shirt. Because it's not about that moment of stimulation. It's not about the action. It's not about the bottle exploding on this person's forehead. It's about telling a story that I relate to that gives me something that I can hold on to. I don't feel that when I watch a Young Bucks match. But for those who come from a generation where everything is five minutes or less, and the commercial is sometimes the best part of the sports game, and there seems to be more fascination with who's at the game than who's playing the game, what am I expecting from this audience? I'm looking for a retweet myself, so I can't be super critical, but I can honestly say that, do I think it's poisonous? Yes, because I bet any money someone would look at that Iron Man match and say, that crowd's dead and those guys don't know how to work. Well said. Well said. You covered the gamut there, and and, and I love that, Lee, because, again, you're somebody who has taken the time to form an opinion, and you're using facts in order to get you there. So, so I want to switch speeds for a second here. Because the big thing trending right now is the fact that uh, Maxine Dupree in the WWE, she was booed at a house show. Fans telling her that she, she's not a good wrestler and all that good stuff there. Um, you're somebody who's been an elected official. Mm-hmm. You are a government official. You're a housing advocate. You're somebody who has dealt with the pushback of people critiquing your job performance. Yeah. And whether it's accurate or, or whether it's uh, contrived at the at the same time, at the end of the day, you've gotten direct feedback <laughs> in the moment as you're doing your job. Uh, no different from Maxine in that regard. So w- what's your take on on fans booing somebody that the company has positioned to be cheered? Because I got to tell you, Lee, and I'm going to lead with this. Um, I think it's a bunch of baloney that any of these wrestlers are are having such a hard time with the fact that, you know, fans don't always cheer the good guy. (laughs) Sometimes they want to cheer for the bad guys. And also if they don't like the way you wrestle, they're going to boo you for that too. Imagine Mm -hmm. that. But I want to get your take as somebody who's been on the receiving end of extreme criticism uh, over people monitoring your job. I just referenced to, you know, Jimmy, I referenced James E. just a minute ago, and he had a beautiful comment about this, which is, she seems like a beautiful, very athletic, very nice person. I just don't ever want to watch her wrestle. And I thought that that was, you know, about the soft and diplomatic as I've ever heard Cornette be about anything, frankly. But, uh, you know, uh, the reality is the libertarian part of my personality says those fans paid their good money to boo, cheer, and piss on whatever they damn well please. And I think that any reaction is better than no reaction because it's a real-time response. The best part is it was in a house show. I shouldn't know about this. I should not know that that happened. That should not be a part of the lore or canon of the story because the purpose of the house show is so that the performers can get better. I could say the same thing. I watched some criticism a couple of years ago and, you know, I'm going to throw a dog bone here to AEW. You know, I I saw people being very critical of, I think it was Anna Jay and another performer at a house show in the very few house shows that that company put on, uh, you know, criticizing that these people don't know how to work. And all I thought to myself is if you were to listen to any of the veterans that we, like I said, eulogize nostalgically and hold in such high regard, 
they'd be the first ones to tell you that they were working for nothing and working for table scraps and working in crappy bingo halls that it, it took a time for that arena to become something of significance in the lore of this business. For a long time, it was also a proving ground in this business, and that's why we were so fascinated. Uh, Steve Austin is a natural talent who put on incredible matches, and someone saw that value in him and wanted to work with him. And Brett puts him over without him even going over, just gives him that platform, and then someone else latches on to that naturally. Uh, but that said, if I do you think that Steve Austin once won a PWI or a Pro Wrestling Observer Award for worst match of the year? You know, they, they, they have to develop, you know, and, and who was he in the match with? Bobby Eaton, who's never had a bad match with anyone, apparently, except Steve Austin. You know, uh, Seth Rollins had a worst match of the year award a couple of years ago. And let's be real. That's as close to Mr. WrestleMania as my era has in performers. Uh, and I, I bet it hurts. I'm not saying that, you know, that I'm not going to completely dehumanize the person. I think the reason why it hurts, though, is different today than it was before. It used to hurt because generally if your match sucked, someone was doing something poorly, and I bet it stung and it was stiff and it looked dumb. Today it hurts because we're sort of putting people in a position to fail. Uh, Maxine is stunning. She is a beautiful woman who I no doubt has a spectacular support base because there are worse looking young women to be on my screen. She also, from what I understand, again, I don't know. I've never met her. seems like she's probably a very lovely person. And I will give her credit if you were to look at some of the clips of some of these matches that she has had. All I think she's had 15 in her entire career, might I add. Some of the movements that she's pulled out have been kind of impressive and awe-inspiring for a second. The potential is there, so I won't use the Jim Cornette-ism here of never wanting to see her perform. But is it possible that this person is uh, not ready for prime time and not ready for uh, a doggy dog market? If you're getting booed at the house show, maybe you shouldn't be on the nine o'clock hour of uh, the, the the staple program on, uh, you know, on network television where ads and buzz are important and where more people are watching. And, and there, we're going through a boom time for the WWE at this moment. Maybe this is not the era of the beautiful woman who is learning to wrestle on the fly. Not everyone can be a Trish Stratus who, you know, started out in a very sexualized, more or less degrading femme fatale character and learned on the fly and, and turned out to be half decent at this. Uh, you know, Bad Bunny had The Undertaker training him. Uh, you know, if we think that Logan Paul, who's constantly referred to as a maverick, no doubt he's a natural and no doubt he's going to be a huge star. He also has a machine behind him, right? Uh, you know, Cody Rhodes, when he's returning for his comeback, he's working with Carmelo Hayes. Could you ask for a better sparring partner? Maxine is learning in real time in front of us. So part of me wants to be sympathetic to her because ultimately she's she's very much like another very popular superstar was saddled with a pretty crap gimmick. Uh, she was put into a place where, uh, you know, we're watching her in front of a lot of other very deserving talents in a time when more people are paying attention to women's wrestling than maybe any era before it. So no doubt it sucks. And I, and I feel for her in that she probably hasn't had the opportunity to get used to the fans response. That's the challenge. She hasn't worked in front of the 10, 25, 50 people for a hamburger where you had to get good and you had to get better. Or as The Undertaker would say on the WWE Network, you either got better or you folded. 
now the reality is is that she's been put into a position where she has a t-shirt now i just said she has had 15 matches she has a t-shirt and no doubt an action figure on its way uh, that is the problem. The problem is, is that I'm being spoon-fed someone who I'm not ready to uh, to jump on board and support. The challenge is, is how do we stop this person who is a product from internalizing uh, a real-time, potentially crass or visceral response, but nonetheless a very valid one from deterring her from this industry or deterring other people like her from this industry because they have their place. And ultimately, that potential will be unlocked over time. Uh, Becky Lynch was working on the indies before she became one of the biggest talkers and highest paid professional wrestlers in the world. Uh, she was a flight attendant at one point. She quit this industry to be a stunt person and came back to it. She was working on mats. They didn't have ring ropes. Now, Maxine is being fast-tracked through a program, which I'll give credit to the program, has probably produced more successes than duds. The performance center is, seems to be worlds away and far above the power plant of yesteryear. But it doesn't change the fact that when Ron Simmons was uh, training, he was uh, being told to brace his abs while they hit him with plywood to strengthen his callus. Uh, she's not going through that. Uh, you know, uh, I remember James E. talking about, uh, you know, Ohio Valley Wrestling, where, you know, they were having these underwear models and fashion models sent down and they were becoming winded and fainting from hitting the ring ropes. Maxine's already far ahead of that. So the potential is there for, but, you know, I appreciate that you have a, a, a united locker room of people who came out to support her. I think that is very wholesome. I appreciate someone, Ray Ripley, who, you know, is, is a phenomenon and a massive star and a sex symbol, but also a, a very much a symbol of strength and talent can come out and, and support this person and sort of give that culture check. I don't think that's a bad thing. And I don't think it's baloney if I'm being honest. I'm Duke. I think that's that I like the United uh, locker room. And I also like that we should be compassionate as a society. But the other reality here is, is that that audience expects a certain level of talent for their dollar. And when I go see a band that I've loved my whole life and could not wait for that moment to see them and the performance is shit, I'm going to tell them so. And I'm going to tell them by either not buying their next record, by leaving the concert, by not supporting it, but also by telling my friends it's a buyer beware market. If I go to Walmart or any, uh, you know, in your case, Target maybe, or some, uh, you know, department franchise store to pick up a product that I'm expecting a certain level of quality from, and it's not, I have a right to that objection. And I think that generally speaking, as we've seen notoriously in professional wrestling, Sometimes there's different levels of heat and anger. I think you cannot exist in the same time as a Dominic Mysterio and say that every one of these negative reactions is inherently a bad thing. It's just a matter of playing to the strength and reevaluating. It's about going back to the drawing board and saying we have to do this differently. And either that's where you either get better or you fold. Maybe she's not right for this. Or maybe she really is. And we're going to find out in six months how good she could be. Because someone like Liv Morgan used to be told she couldn't wrestle. And her matches were crap too. And then she's out there training and her videos are constant. And she's never looked stronger. She's never been more beautiful. She's never been presented with more strength and more uh, unique stories. Uh, that's very far removed, whether you're a fan of that performer or not. Very, very far removed from the girl with the blue tongue in the riot squad uh, or the pretend, uh, you know, urban uh, Jersey girl of, of NXT. So I think that there's hope. And I, I'm while I'm feeling kind of sympathetic for this person who maybe hasn't been 
made abreast of that reality and maybe isn't prepared for that reality because so far they've been met with a lot of positivity and maybe it's a culture shock. At the same time, I'm the first person to boo Jungle Boy out of the building, who in essence is another person who I think is an overrated talent, who is not nearly as uh, cohesive a storyteller performer, who is a pretty boy. So I can't sit here and criticize a fan for having a problem just because this person's feminine and this person's masculine. Ultimately, as a consumer, either it's good or it isn't, and if it isn't good, make it better. That's how capitalism works in a uh, in a more sincere sense. It's not vulturistic. It's very much a venture capitalistic approach. Either your product will improve or so to make sure that people enjoy it and get their money's worth, or they will shop elsewhere. And the best possible litmus test in that argument is when someone gets that argument in real time uh, at a house show. The, the challenge is that we get to see it now with the internet, uh, you know, blasting this clip at us. And that truly is the shame of this, because this is where she's supposed to learn. This is where she's supposed to learn to sell. This is where she's supposed to see what works and what doesn't. And this is where every generation before her has been given the opportunity to do that without a worldwide audience retweeting her failures. So that's the unfortunate part of the stimulation fest I talk about. In terms of politics, I had people who would uh, hate me for a lot of reasons. I actually have once had someone write a letter to uh, my uh, city clerk via email because they thought my socks were too short. Uh, you know, I, I've seen it. Uh, you know, you come out in front of people on on issues that matter, like gender equality issues or harm reduction, very contentious uh, issues for some people where the, to me, they were very much matter of fact issues for the people I served. And I, I was thinking, how can I make a more compassionate society? Well, others were were seeing, you know, girl interrupted and they believe that, uh, you know, Nurse Ratchet from One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest is a great example of how mental health works. It's not. That's entertainment. Unfortunately, we have to be a compassionate society because there's people who are not receiving that compassion elsewhere where I felt like they should. Now, that made me a target for a lot of issues. I mentioned being a drag queen, you know, as a, uh, you know, as a, a almost a, a token part of something I got to do. And that's what it was. It was a token character. But Ultimately, it was also a response for me as an activist in protest to say, I'm a heterosexual man who happens to be lucky enough to love beautiful women and never have had my, uh, my, my sexuality criticized. So it made sense for me to put on a, a dress and go out and learn a Billie Eilish dance routine because to me it was one of those punk rock F you, I won't do what you told me moments like Zach Della Roche is screaming into a microphone. But for others, it's also a daily part of the reality. So, I, I mean, generally speaking, you're going to learn in real time if something works or it doesn't. But that doesn't always mean the negative response is a bad thing. If anything, it should be feeding us to reevaluate why we like something or why we don't. And ideally, in her case specifically, they're not booing her for the purposes of getting heat. They're not booing her the way they would boo Scott Hall in the NWO because he'd say something and it would snap. They're not booing them like they boo MJF. They're booing her because they think she's trash. And uh, unfortunately, at this moment, their argument is more valid than her performance indicates. It doesn't change the fact that if she takes that Dominic Mysterio approach and owns it and she continues to get better uh, and you're going to have someone who's going to throw that clip up in the air and constantly pummel it on social media feeds for the next two years because they've determined and decided that it's popular to hate this girl and imagine the egg on their face 
if in two years from now she's a WrestleMania caliber performer who's just killing it and made it her own and feeds this into some anti-hero uh, character who's who's pissed off at the system and telling all of those fat, auto-weight, gelatinous fans, you know, who live in their parents' basements, that they're just jealous they could never find a girl who could not only look as good as her, but also perform at a level that she could and make a million dollars doing it. That's what I want to see come from this process. Well, listen, you're, you're a very diplomatic man. I can see why you were elected. Uh, I am in a position where I don't have to be as diplomatic, so I'm just going to say this. Maxine Dupree, I think you're a very talented person. Uh, you, you have your own clothing line and you're into fashion. I think that's cool. From what I've heard, you are very excellent when it comes to meeting fans face to face. And, you know, the kids love you and all that good stuff. So the person behind the character is solid. No question about it. As a wrestler, I literally am going to line up and boo you every single chance that I get until you learn how to wrestle properly. Because right now, you're a liability. You're ridiculous in the ring. They shouldn't put you in the ring. Triple H, I would fire you if I was in charge for, for putting that young lady and her opponents in a position where somebody's going to get hurt. And also for stinking up the joint, putting somebody in the ring like that who's clearly not ready. So you fast-tracked her. You set her up to fail, just like uh, Lee said, very diplomatically. But I'm going to be far less diplomatic and say she has no business in a wrestling ring wrestling. And I'm going to boo her and I'm going to enjoy every second of booing her until she actually learns how to wrestle. That's I fair. That's right. I, I can respect that. But at the same oh, time, I'm going to get you in trouble, Lee. Booing <laughs> her based on the idea that she's an unsafe worker. But, you know, I, I'm booing an entire subset of the wrestling industry for being an unsafe business. Right. I, I love that. Know, I loved ECW like everybody else because it was this maverick cultural phenomenon. It was the renegade, the island of misfits toys, as Taz would say. Some of the, my favorite moments. I watched a match one time. Was it uh, Ty Jerry versus Steve Carino? This was towards the end of ECW. And I remember showing this to a friend who had never watched an ECW pay-per-view. And I said, watch this. And he was like, that was fantastic. Holy shit, these guys are amazing. What happened to Steve Carino? That guy was solid. And all I thought to myself was, yeah, you're right. And what was special was that it, in any other setting, it probably would never have been as meaningful as this person is seeing it. It's that audience that's carrying this, and it's renegade, and it's cool. But ultimately, it also killed the injury angle. You can't very well be Bobby Eaton at, at uh, you know at Smoky Mountain uh, taking time off because he's having a kid or you know he has a, a wrist injury when you've got uh, the Sandman being crucified on the other station. This is a famous analogy, but there's a reason why. Ultimately, it probably did more harm than good in that the bulk of that roster is dead. Ultimately, it did more harm than good because it wasn't a safe business. Uh, and that doesn't mean it didn't have its place, but there were definitely steps that could have been taken. We could have avoided Chris Benoit scenarios where we have this incredible performer who, by all intents and purposes, at different points throughout his adult life in this industry, most people respected as a loving husband and family man. The deterioration of him was in real time, and it was based on a variety of factors that included head drama, that included painkiller abuse, that included all of these different dark sides of this industry like we talk about but you know i could make that same argument today when i watch like i went to the first was it uh, not all in that was the independent roh supported event by the, you know those elite boys but that first was it all out 
uh, like the first pay-per-view that they had in Chicago when they were a company and the, the show was about to premiere and the audience was into it because the internet buzz was there. I went to that to watch them tr- crown their first world champion and it was Chris Jericho and Hangman in the main event, which by the way, dad stunk up the joint and it wasn't even necessarily <laughs> their fault. But I just remember it sucked. I'm not going to lie, but there was a lot of cool stuff there, you know, like, don't get me wrong. There was some really great talent there, but I just remember this one particular match that made me almost vomit. And it was this, uh, it was the Pentagon junior, the, 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 the two tremendous Lucha talents that they have the tag team there. I'm not sure their names. I don't want to say something obnoxious and mispronounce it versus the young bucks. And I had never seen a Young Bucks match in person before, but I'd seen enough clips online to know that I was already annoyed. And I'm not going to call them Cucamonga kids and put them down and denigrate them like a lot of other people who I've already referenced in this program. But what I will say is, is that anyone who looks at that and says, this is innovative. Look at these guys. They're saving tag team wrestling. Okay, let's be real. They are a very bad Midnight Rockers. And they are performing at a level very much like a very intoxicated Hardy Boys. And that's how I perceive it. That doesn't mean they don't have talent. Generally, I shouldn't be speaking and saying that because it's not based on fact. I I don't know that a bunch of the performers they've worked with are injured or have long-term disability because of their behaviors. What I will say is this. When I watched multiple super kicks and the most repulsive level, I think there was like five back to back or maybe more Canadian destroyers, poor Petey Williams. Jeez, man. If there's anyone I feel for, uh, you know, and Canadian destroyer off of a ladder through a table, just to watch that same performer who in essence should be, you know, if this was real and you're trying to suspend my disbelief should be knocked out of this contest. Paramedics should be checking on him. He should probably be taken to a nearby medical facility. And I should be getting an, you know, an update from Tony Schiavone in 25 minutes online about this character. Instead, he hops back in the ring and delivers another super kick, followed by another Canadian destroyer, followed by another table uh, spot, followed by another ladder spot. The fact that they haven't had more significant injury, Uh, with this particular art form. And I recognize it's gimmick tables and they're professionals and kudos to them. But if I'm going to pick on Maxine Dupree, because I've seen a couple of, I don't know, sloppy uh, moments in her performances and she's a liability. How is she a liability? And this crap isn't. Okay. I once watched Kofi Kingston kick the Miz in the head on, I think it was like a main event or something. And he won the intercontinental title and Miz walked around for weeks with this big gash on his forehead that he had sewed up. He's a tougher guy than people give him credit for. There's no way you watch that first hell in a cell match from bad blood 97. And you don't see the physical toll that Shawn Michaels was taking on his body, bouncing around at the way he was for the undertaker. And he was a bloody mess. And whether he was blading or whether he was just caught on ragged edges, you know, like the facts are, that they somehow managed to do that in a more or less safe way. Whereas I look at this particular performance and the, the backyard wrestling mud show, they, I don't know how to use terminology that doesn't sound like Jim Cornette. It kind of bothers me because I find his opinions while very entertaining, generally very crass. And you're right. I am diplomatic and, and it's just, it's not in my nature to completely obliterate someone. I like Dan Housen. I recognize it's a gimmick and it's foolish, but the difference is I recognize that I'm in on the joke. Uh, when I look at these guys and they're, you know, they're, they wouldn't exist if the Hardy boys didn't exist. They wouldn't exist if the rockers, the new rockers, the midnight rockers, whatever terminology. And it goes back 
ultimately, to the Rock and Roll Express. They are re-envisioning a gimmick, and it's become generational. And in the process, they killed everybody's finisher. And what kills me the most about it is I'm here criticizing this poor girl who's who's been fast-tracked. And ultimately, a couple of times I've seen her pull off some shit that's kind of cool, and I do believe she has potential. I, I'm not going to boo her. I'm going to be indifferent to her. I, I, I think that there's an opportunity here for her. I used to n- not see the value of Dominic Mysterio. Now I do. Like he makes television more entertaining and he doesn't have to do much. He's learned his niche and he's working with it. I used to find our truth's concept to be the most irritating thing I've ever seen when he was talking little Jimmy. Now I have to say, I enjoy it. And maybe one day I might get there with Orange Cassidy, but I haven't yet. And to me, Maxine fits into this crew. She started out as the maximum male models, uh, you know, uh, girl, and she was uh, talking about Otis. It was foolish. And they put her in a ring, and the fact that she could have a a half-decent match or pull off two or three moves, to her credit, is better than an entire generation of female wrestlers I grew up watching who couldn't do that. Right. They, they were literally just there for stimulation purposes and it wasn't even their fault. So I'm not going to be as harsh. And as I can't I can't in good conscience shit down the throat of this person for not being there yet. Meanwhile, I'm holding up this this entire generation of fans. And I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people are holding up this this style of performance today where ultimately I'm I'm going to be amazed if any of them are going to be able to drive when they're 50. <laughs> well, once again, Maxine, when I see you outside the ring, I will shake your hand. I will point out that I think you're a great person. Inside the ring, I'm going to boo you to oblivion. That's right. Listen, Lee, you're 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 a guy that is a true wrestling fan, and uh, appreciate you coming on the show. It's kind of interesting how you and I found each other on X through all the muck and what have you here, but I, I really enjoy you coming on the show. Definitely want to have you back sometime, man. If anyone listening wants to keep up with you and, and talk I wrestling with you, what's the best way they can reach out to you? Well, if they're following you, I'm always clapping back at your stuff so they can just clap back at me, and that's totally cool. I got no problem with that. Uh, by all means, the, the handle's there. It's at Lee Bercy, L-E-I-G-H-B-U-R-C-Y. But realize, when you follow me, you're not just getting wrestling. You're going to be getting social justice. You're going to be getting housing and homelessness advocacy. You're going to be getting some pretty stern opinions on some universal things. You might not agree. Uh, And that's okay. But one thing I more or less demand of anyone that I'm interacting with is a certain level of decorum. So if you want to be friends, I would love to be friends. We need more friends in the world. Uh, This unique relationship started based on a couple of uh, entertaining exchanges on Twitter. X, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, so I would love to interact with you. I'd love to learn more about your fascinations. Maybe you could win me over on the Young Bucks. I mean, I'm all for it. Let's hear it. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, I mean, I, I love this industry. Uh, and I one thing I wanted to touch on just before we, we signed off, because I know I've more or less filibustered here as your guest. I'm very <laughs> passionate about this. And you've just given me the reins. And I really respect that. You know, 20 minutes turns into 45 quickly. Um, I did mention at the beginning about wrestling teaching me to read. And that doesn't make sense to anyone who's not gotten context to it. Um, I used to have a stammer and used to be a very poor public speaker and was a late bloomer when it came to reading and writing. Um, There was concern maybe I had a learning disability or it was just anxiety and I was a shy kid. I was always talkative and friendly. 
but generally only to people I felt safe around. And I had trouble interacting and making friends. And, uh, you know, I remember trying to read Goosebumps after a scholastic book fair and stammering and, and struggling so hard that uh, the teacher's like, maybe we'll uh, revisit this another time. And uh, being incredibly embarrassed. That's a core memory from like grade two. Uh, and I remember 1996, uh, not exactly a boom time for WWF performance uh, in television. Uh, I came up in poverty. And in Newfoundland here, there was a dramatic recession. It was the largest uh, mass layoff nationally, I think, in our country's history. And a lot of people were in significant depression. Our, our fisheries had, you know, a moratorium and people, you know, entire communities that lived off that were struggling. And there wasn't really a job we had on the island. And everyone was starting to head west, chasing tar sands and natural resource development, looking for opportunity. And um, I had been trying so hard to make friends. And uh, one thing that I noticed a couple of the kids who I thought were cool in my after-school program seemed to be really into was the storyline between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels leading into WrestleMania 12 and Roddy Piper and uh, Goldust and Diesel's quasi. He was probably like that first cool heel for a while. And and, and I, I didn't know a damn thing about this stuff, but I remember having one of those wrestling buddies, a Hulk Hogan, when I was a kid. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And just as I was getting into it, uh, we had our cable cut off. Uh, I couldn't no longer interact with my my friends that I had just made. I uh, I didn't have I wasn't able to see the program except on NTV, which is Newfoundland Television, on Saturdays a week after it aired to begin with, because I could never stay up that late to watch it. We're in a different time zone, and all of a sudden, this one thing I used to have to relate to people that I was just breaking out of my shell was gone. And uh, I remember my grandmother thinking, "Aha." I have just the thing. She's like, I walked by a drugstore the other day and she saw Shawn Michaels on the front of that WWF magazine. And it said, the boyhood dream has come true. And she brought that home to me and she said, tell me what happened. And I could tell her some things I could extrapolate from pictures, but it was, no, no, no. I want you to tell me what happened. Lee. Tell me, but I don't know. I didn't see it. She's like, it's right in front of you. Tell me what happened. And all of a sudden, I'm up late at night sounding out snap mirrors and sharpshooters and super kicks. And before long, I've read every magazine that existed from World of Wrestling to, uh, you know, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which is like everyone's, you know, eventual favorite. Bill Apter's a national treasure and deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Just throwing that out there. You know, and then all of a sudden, I was exposed to Vince Russo before he was ever an on-screen character and before he ever wielded as much influence. I watched the Attitude Era take shape, but I could see it coming because I was reading his editorials where he was criticizing fans about how Rocky sucks and saying that no matter how much Vince McMahon says anything could happen in the World Wrestling Federation, we all know Virgil's not going to win the Royal Rumble. And he had kind of pulled back that curtain in his editorials as the editor. And, and admittedly, I was impressed. Admittedly, there was something about his character, at least at that moment, where he, I felt like he might have been ahead of something that I, he was in on something I wasn't yet. And I was curious for more. Now, I don't know that I feel the same way about Vince Russo today. Uh, seems like a nice guy to talk to on Twitter. And I don't devalue the input and involvement he's had in the programming, but the crash TV stuff, the, it was, we, we remember it as being way more special and significant than it was. It was a, a mixture of great talent and great moments and a cultural shift that he just happened to have been able to predict six months ahead of schedule. So I wouldn't call it quite a visionary. He basically just watched ECW. But that said, uh, I digress. And I'm going to a million times. Every, everything in wrestling is a rabbit hole. 
it comes down to is I wouldn't be a former municipal politician. I wouldn't be a communicator at the level that I communicate. I wouldn't have the verbiage and the language skills that I have. I wouldn't be as willing to take criticism and turn it into ammunition. I wouldn't be able to make speeches in front of people and stand against things that I felt were very punk rock and very important. I wouldn't be able to relate to people who have very different opinions than me and sure wouldn't be able to give a soundbite that was cohesive. This is a free thinking format. We're going, we're 50 minutes in, but ultimately in, 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 in politics, you don't always have that much time to get your message across. Uh, especially when you're doing an elevator pitch to a, a sitting government minister uh, about why they should invest in something that you believe is a human right and that we should be doing more for while they see it as an expense and not an investment. Professional wrestling has been such an integral part of that entire development of me as a human being. Uh, if I give the credit, you know, whatever my opinions of some of his personal choices, people like Ric Flair being able to go out and captivate people uh, it, by giving these almost nonsensical, but very driven and passionate, uh, you know, miniature speeches, the, 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 the town hall, the stump speech to Tony Schiavone or Jim Ross or Gordon Soley or whoever, those are important moments. Uh, CM Punk was, a, there's a reason why he is that character we're still watching and clamoring for. And the reason why is because he was able to connect with a different generation by, by doing the same thing that a lot of the other greats have along the way. And, uh, you know, I might be able to eulogize The Undertaker as a very cool mythical character, but I'm never utilizing his promo as ammunition. But I can tell you, I, I definitely did hold on to that CM Punk and JBL. Uh, you know, this was like a SummerSlam or something, and it was like a side story. It doesn't even matter. But just the articulation of being able to deliver that with vindiction and vindication and meaning it and feeling it and feeling that raw energy sticks with me to this day. When I watch Dusty Rhodes come out and the audience is screaming for him and clamoring for him and he looks at the audience and just in a few words goes, well, I love you too. And then walks away. Or when Roman Reigns even comes out and goes, it's my yard now is a perfect, more modern example. You know, you feel that. Well, I have used that type of contextualization to storytelling when I'm telling stories about issues that matter to me in the world, people, things, actions, items, investments, humanity, and professional wrestling. I think Cody Rhodes said it in Twitter not long ago, and I'm going to quote him and I'm going to blow smoke right up his ass. He said, professional wrestling is the most beautiful thing. Sometimes it's a love story. And I think Sami Zayn said something similar too when Terry Funk died. And I couldn't agree more because I owe so much to a magazine about guys in tights being fake superheroes telling five and 10 and 15 minute stories, sometimes incoherently and disjointed during an era of television when anyone was just begging for attention. I had Rey Mysterio as a superhero. I had Shawn Michaels actually flying when Batman couldn't. And I had to learn what was happening at a time when I couldn't afford to participate. And by doing so, I got to stretch my own imagination, my own skills, my own storytelling and capabilities. And none of who I am today as a communicator, none of who I am today as an activist, would be nearly as effective if I couldn't have watched the greats be great and do something that felt real when everyone else told you how phony it was. And as someone in politics, as someone on the left of many issues, 
I can't count how many times I've had to do something because it feels real to me. Just like that poor guy at the, you know, at the retro wrestling convention that everyone makes fun of and the meme. I have had to many times in my life stand behind issues that felt real to me while everyone else said that they didn't matter or they weren't real. And I think that professional wrestling is the most beautiful thing when it's done right. And I just needed to contextualize that story because ultimately I didn't want to leave your listeners thinking that I'm here watching like, uh, you know, uh, some type of graphic with and trying to read the wrestling match while I'm watching it. No, it's, it's reading the room and understanding the story. And I think that being the medium of your message is such an important thing. So uh, I, I had, I, I wanted to make sure I filled in that blank because I think it's the most significant part. That's why you and I are talking right now. It's about the idea that as grown men who do real things and pay real mortgages and have real responsibilities, the idea that we can get lost in something that should be on face value, so foolish and so ridiculous. And we see it because it's artistic and we see it because it's passionate. And ultimately we don't want the people that we're watching to actually hurt each other. Part of the fun of being in on it is that it's not as, as combative and dangerous as that. It's just an opportunity to escape the world when the world feels heavy. And ultimately, as a public servant and a community activist, I've been trying my best to spend my life helping a lot of people escape realities that feel very heavy and make things better. And I think professional wrestling as a love story, uh, I wouldn't be able to read or write my own name had I not watched Vince Russo make those comments in an editorial about Die, Rocky, Die, and Rocky Sucks two years before he was The Rock. Let's talk hydration. See, I carry something to drink with me every single place that I go because I am concerned about being dehydrated. It runs in the family. Everything from dry mouth, dizzy spells, fainting, it's pretty serious. And I've tried all the different types of waters and sports drinks. Let me tell you something right now. Liquid IV. That has been the most efficient at keeping me hydrated and doing so pretty quickly. Okay, Liquid IV has five essential vitamins and is two times faster at keeping you hydrated than water alone. And I'm serious, man. Everything from vitamin C to vitamins B3, B5, B6, B12. Liquid IV also is non-GMO. So it's free from gluten, dairy, soy. So for all you folks out there with food allergies, this may be right up your alley. And I know what you're thinking, but how does it taste, Duke? Well, tastes pretty good. Okay, we're talking my favorite in pina colada. They also have tropical punch, strawberry, new flavors like sea berry and strawberry lemonade. Huh. You can enjoy this stuff, man. But don't take my word for it. I want you to stop what you're doing right now and head over to liquidiv.com. Use the promo code Duke Loves Wrestling so you get 20% off your entire order. I mean, anything that you order on liquidiv.com. So what are you waiting for? It's time for you to shop better hydration today. Use the promo code Duke Loves Wrestling over at liquidiv.com. Save yourself 20%. Stay hydrated. Most importantly, enjoy life. That's right. Now let's get on with the show. Be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Love Wrestling. 